Episode 180, dated Friday the 3rd of December 2010, The 50 Greatest Gaming Characters, Part 2. Welcome to the Last week we covered numbers 50 through 26, so make sure you go back and listen to that show first. This week we'll be concluding the list. And you'll be hearing voices from all around our community and the extended video gaming podcast network. So thanks very much to everyone who made contributions to this one and made it as epic as it has become. So without further ado, number 25, Elena Fisher, Uncharted. Whoa there, cowboy. That's relieving me at the dock. What the hell are you doing here? Listen, I'm a good enough reporter to follow a couple of no-luck tomb robbers. It went this way. I radio ahead. Well, you're down to one tomb robber now. Sully's dead. What? Yeah. And we're next if we don't get out of here. Oh, God, I'm, I'm sorry. Please tell me you have a gun. Of course. Oh, thanks. All right, come on. Okay, you, you've got to have stuff to say about Of Elena. course I've got stuff to say about Elena. She's great. She's the first, well, one of the first female characters that I ever played opposite uh, and felt, wow, she can really keep up with me. Not in terms of, uh, she's so strong and powerful and she's so tough and she's got such great attitude and she's great with a gun. She does seem like a, a relatively normal person, but somebody with limits and somebody who wasn't a, a superhero and somebody who kind of had put themselves in this weird situation but wasn't complaining all the time at the same time she seemed capable of dealing with things but again like I said she has limits which is a perfect fall for Drake who we'll talk about later uh, who is a man ruled by his limits and constantly living at the edge of them you always been this popular? well I do seem to attract the scum of the earth uh, yeah, no offense I'm taken do you have a good memory? Yeah, why? UK-2642. You got that? Yeah, what is it? It's Creek's Marine Coordinates. I think I know where the Spanish took El Dorado. El Dorado? The problem is, some of the bastards killed Sully. Damn it! If the Spanish found the treasure, they had to move it there, to that island. And Drake followed them. Well, what are we waiting for? I'll get the story, and you get whatever it is you're after. Come on! Hey, this isn't going to be a vacation, you know. I can take care of myself. Besides, you owe me one. I suppose I do. I was really pleased to see her again in Uncharted 2. And she, she always just kind of strikes me as like, okay, I don't really want to be in this place, but I'm just going to get on with it. Yeah. And you know, she's a, such a well-drawn female. She is all but elite, actually. Certainly yeah. in the first game. Um, you know, so, yeah, it, it's... I know why we were we raved and raved and raved about it once we, you know, we were talking about the Uncharted too as well yeah but um i don't think she gets properly kidnapped once in a situation that drake isn't himself being held at gunpoint well and and two as well she kind of takes that everything she learned from one as you know she she improved as a human being in one you kind of get that feel and she she comes back into that much stronger gets herself in a complete load of uh, shit again of course but you know she seems a lot more capable into and that's because you feel like as a character she actually has grown over the years and now understands why Drake is doing what he's doing and how the hell he's getting her in this shit again so and both of them have a job to do in the game mm-hmm. uh, that, that you know Elena's got to capture it on camera and Drake has to do it so it's it's kind of it's, it's a weird symbiotic relationship they share okay they're about to take this show on the road so we're gonna have to move fast now I'm going down there alone no, Nate. wait 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 just listen you never listen meanwhile you're gonna go over there snag is one of those nice looking four by fours, four by fours. Oh. you're gonna be the wheel man 
I'll sneak in. I'll grab Chloe. You come in right behind us. With the getaway car. With the getaway car. Yep, got it. Got it? I got it. Go. And a strong female lead. Yes. So rare. Yeah. It's so, I mean, it's getting so much better nowadays. But, you know, yeah, she, <laughs> she is the kind of character you just wish that every uh, video game developer, instead of doing the big breast uh, look, they, they look at you know, what what Elena looks like and, and kind of base more from that kind of model because I personally think most people would rather have that. One character that I voted for who nobody else did, I think maybe she got two or three, was Noriko in uh, Heavenly oh Sword. Kind of the opposite of Elena, extremely strong. Uh, you know, signs of vulnerability, but somebody who has got a... Actually, no, maybe she is kind of similar to Elena. She's got a job to do. She does it. She's self-sacrificing. Literally, she she pushes herself through, and you root for her the whole time. And she's got this... Both of the characters are personified by the actors in the game using performance capture. It's something that I really want to see used later on. In fact, if the votes had come in a, bit, a little bit later, I probably would have voted for Trip from Enslaved as well. Yeah. Maybe Monkey. Thinking about Noriko as well, she, if you actually compare it to something like... Um Uncharted. She's kind of more of the, the character of Nathan Drake and um, her sister, who's, you know, she's constantly trying to look out and look after. He's kind of like Elena's character. It's kind of like a, a flip reverse. Uh, oh, do you mean Kai? She's not actually yeah, her Kai. blood sister. There's a, a weird kind of Xena relationship going on between those two. But at the same time, that's very subtly done. And I, I, I can't, I can believe, and it's very sad that Kai wasn't on this oh, list as well. Kai is a fantastic character. In fact, you know what? Number 24, Duke Nukem, he's out. I am the king of the world, baby. Duke Nukem is not in this what? fucking Let's... list. Kai from Heavenly Sword. My gun's bigger than yours. Let's talk about Duke Nukem anyway. No. Um, he's bollocks. He is a fucking walking testicle. Don't worry, girls. There's plenty of Duke to go around. He is a, just a ball of... Of cliches and shitty one-liners. It's a good day to die. You're beautiful when you're dying. Confucius say, die. I could do this all day. Fuck Duke Nukem in his fucking ass. Get rid of him. We don't need Duke Nukem in this damn age. I'm surprised he's picked up as many votes as he has now. Because I get the joke. He didn't. The joke Kai was... did. Kai takes all the votes. <laughs> but the, the joke was funny back then. I like big guns, and I cannot lie. And, and maybe this is us just being that kind of, oh, you know, games move forward, and how dare people, you know, kind of remember the way that, you know, you know characters like this. But I think he has a place with on this list. I'm just surprised he's quite as high as 24. Say hello to my little friend. <sighs> It's, it's an incredible. I mean, I think once again, that's that's kind of just you know thinking back in, into your past and maybe games that you know you spent a lot of time with, and, and Duke kind of conjures up that kind of you know remembrance. But yeah, it, it, I think his day is coming. I, I think you know Duke Nukem Forever will prove quite how far we've moved on from that kind of humor. So. You'd think they'd learn. I guess we'll see. But I, I'm more than happy to put Kai in his place. You yeah, know, that's totally no. The, even though it's tongue-in-cheek, the objectifying of women in the Duke Nukem games and the shake it, baby, uh, it's, it's uh, versus how empowering Heavenly Sword is, fuck him. I go where I please, and I please where I go. Kai and Noriko share places to kick Duke Nukem's ass off this list. Squeal like a pig. What do you feel about Duke Nukem? Finley man. Nah. Really quite indifferent to the character. I never really thought there was much of a character there. Just as a stereotypical kind of 
man's man. Drink beer, look at boobs, smoke cigars, kick ass. Only he's got this groovy thing from Ash in Evil Dead 2, and that's just groovy. You know, funny back in 1997. I love the smell of bird crap in the morning. Okay, so Duke, you're off the list. You talking to me? No, no, no. Get out of here. We don't want you. No, I'm really pissed off. You've had your day. Go. I'm not going to fight you. I'm going to kick your ass. Go away. Hang your head in shame, Duke. You invincible headshot scripted cheater. Don't let the door hit your ass on the way out. I hate to kick my own ass, but it's got to be done. <laughs> hmm, so there is life after death. Noriko has spent her life in the belief that she should have been born a son to her father and thus a worthy bearer of the heavenly sword. Kai, however, witnessed something so horrible that she became mentally divergent and regards her original personality in the third person so as to distance herself from the pain. It's no accident that the man in charge of performance capture was Andy Serkis, better known to the world as Gollum. Serkis also plays Bohan in Heavenly Sword, yet another character who deserves to be on the list. Bird? Or worms? It's tasty. The others. Father. Where are they? Gone. Dead. Not dead. Gone. Gone where? Master Shen said I must hide. And did you? Yes. No. Well, a bit. Please, Kai, you have to tell me what happened. I got bored. I climbed a tree. I saw those soldiers again. And? They had Master Shen. And some of the others... See where they were taking them? This was once a place of tranquility and learning. Now Bohan has ravaged its beauty with his mark of corruption. I can feel the suffering of my father and our clansmen there at Bohan's mercy. And this I know. Some men show no mercy. I have to find father. You keep watch till we return. We may need you to play twin twang. Yes, Marika. We'll find a place to hide. Won't we? <laughs> Number 23, Agent 47, from the Hitman series. Joe Foley. Although not an example of a character that strikes up a lot of emotion and engagement, I think Agent 47 is a great example of how the design of a main protagonist sets the tone of a game. One of the strongest facets of Agent 47 is his appearance, as it really embodies how you want to feel whilst you're playing Hitman. The use of the simple black suit gives him a very professional and clinical persona, and they also reflected that in his very calm and measured voice work. 
And while I was playing through the missions, I would try and stay very composed, plan everything in meticulous detail, and try and execute the perfect hit to try and fit in with his character. I think it's quite clever how they balance the requirement of 47 needing to be like a chameleon that can blend in with the surroundings and wear disguises while still actually creating an instantly recognisable main character. And although the barcode and bald head push the believability a bit far in terms of him standing out in a crowd, I think the fact that you can just sum him up as a guy in a suit means that it's fairly easy to go along with. Another thing I like about the 47 character is that he does appear to have some kind of moral code, albeit in very much an anti-hero context. There's always a, a justification for what you're doing, and the game really rewards you for concentrating on your targets rather than just indiscriminate acts of violence. Now, I really like Agent 47 because, at least in the games, he's he just gets the job done. There's not too much character development in there at all, but there's something very strong and silent about him. I mean, he's, he's not really massively a character, but it, it just show, goes to show how much there is there that could have been captured because Timothy Oliphant really didn't get it when he was doing the Hitman film. That, that, that is an awful, awful performance and he just doesn't get it. <laughs> it's cool, clean, undetected. The Hitman film? Yeah, he's a butcher. <laughs> you, um, feel that, you, you feel compelled to do things professionally looking at how serious Agent 47 is. He's not, like, cracking off one-liners and going, Hey, shake it, baby. But the, uh, the thing I love about Agent 47, actually, and, and is why I actually didn't want to see another game, they do actually drip-feed the story quite well. You know, the whole barcade on his head thing it is actually drip-fed and explained. And, you know, not the time and the place maybe to go into that, but it, it, it's, I think it's got a fascinating background. Um, and there is another Agent 47 game in the works, as far as I know, so... I'd like to see the continuation of that, but, you know, it's been a long time since we've last seen a game. Who the hell are you? How'd you get in here? Carolan! My client has hired me to show you this photograph. I don't understand. My client has asked me to ensure it's the last thing you ever see. Please, look at the photograph, Mr. Clarence. Number 22, Ezio Auditore from Assassin's Creed. 22 years ago, I stood where I stand now. Watched my loved ones die, betrayed by those I had called friends. Vengeance clouded my mind, would have consumed me, were it not for the wisdom of a few strangers, who taught me to look past my instincts. They never preached answers, but guided me to learn from myself. We don't need anyone to tell us what to do. Not Savonarola, not the Medici. We are free to follow our own path. There are those who will take that freedom from us. Too many of you gladly give it. But it is our ability to choose whatever you think is true that makes us human. There is no book or teacher to give you the answers, to show you the path. Choose your own way. Do not follow me. 
or anyone else. You are introduced to Ezio as, once again, Desmond is placed into the Animus and his subconscious memories are made to have substance. Rob Finney. As with his ancestor, Altair, you find yourself immersed into Ezio's world. Even though as a character he follows in the footsteps of his ancestor, his path there is quite different. So why Ezio as one of gaming's 50 greatest characters? On the face of it, there are some good reasons why he shouldn't be there. The primary one being, well, he's not that much different to a character from the first game, or other characters. But whereas with Altair we join him at the peak of his skills, Ezio is different. A stereotypical rich kid, whose father is murdered, he goes on a quest of revenge, dressed in disguise to make himself unrecognisable, with a partner who provides gadgets and a base of operations nothing short of a mansion. But then, this in itself is nothing new. Hell, dress him in black, make his tech guy Lucius, and you wouldn't see him out of place in Gotham City saying, I'm Batman. But as with that character, it's this very thing that makes him great to play. A character who is learning, getting to grips with his world, not just of a parent's death, but of his destiny. And we are asked to go along with him on this journey. And with this journey, you see a mixture of vulnerability and lethal skill. A case in point, leaping off a building gives you a thrill whereby you're never too sure whether he's going to make it, whilst dual assassinations with your hidden blade certainly brings the call. A moody Altair, although an amazing character in himself, does not compare with him. You had to do something crazy with Altair to get him killed and to fall, whilst dual wielding was out of the question. These traits also make him comparable to the likes of Jonathan Drake, whose genocidal activities make him a force to be reckoned with, but this is mixed with slight insecurity and vulnerability. I could say more about the collectibles in the game having meaning, for example the feathers helping to bring back his mother's sanity over her loss of the assassin's father, or the indeed the assassin's artifacts that help him learn about his past are all worthwhile and not collecting for collecting's sake. But the key thing with this is that Ubisoft have made this character be more fully immersed. The improvements that they have made with not pulling the character out of the world after every mission is a big step towards this. On top of that, they have created a character whose personality has been refined in his abilities and perceived mortality. More importantly, you are carried along with him, getting those skills, watching him grow and finding out his past history and ancestry. Place him within this environment that shares many historical traits with the real-world places that they mimic makes it impossible not to become immersed. Roll on, Assassin's Creed 3. Number 21, Travis Touchdown. From no more heroes. Sylvia, I want to make a deal. I'll conquer the rankings, fight whoever it takes, and in return, you find me the assholes who killed Bishop. Calm down. You shouldn't make this personal. It is the quickest way to lose a battle. This isn't a battle anymore. It's a motherfucking war. To me, the t- thing that makes Travis such a great character is that he's basically the, the projection of a typical nerd in their every fantasy. Roy Fortitude. The way he talks, acts in situations, and generally is in the game is exactly like you'd see a bunch of geeky losers who like to pretend that they're cool when they walk around in the school halls, even when that's only about 38% accurate. 
He dresses like a complete wanker, torn jeans, leather jacket, sunglasses, stupidly styled hair. He wields a weapon that is a lightsaber in everything but name. He's a super anime and lucha libre fan to the point that his love of them spills over into the combat. He's an assassin, which always makes a person feel and sound super cool. And for basically the whole of each game, he's obsessed with only three things. Being number one, aka, ha, I totally pwned you noobs and I'm at the top of the leaderboard. Getting to cause bloodshed, best represented in one level of the second game where you kill a football jock. Always picking on me, and look who's laughing now, huh? And having sex with the one female character in the game that isn't underage, an NPC stuck waiting in one spot forever, or fated to die. Killing, winning, and sex. Everything that a player aged between 14 and 14 and a half loves uh, more than anything else in the entire universe. And it kind of feels like even Travis is aware of just how juvenile he's been designed, and yet he somehow manages to still make it work for him. Travis Touchdown is a hopeless nerd and a badass killing machine. If not in the top 10 like he is on my list, he definitely deserves to be one of the 50 greatest gaming characters at least. Number 20, Dante from Devil May Cry. Dante is um, a bit of a weird character to talk about because I don't think he's that particularly interesting as a character. He's not very deep. Joshua Garrity. At all. But I think he's more of a symbol of rock and roll culture, uh, the rebellious side of people. And there's like a power fantasy with that. So I think the main reason why people love this character is the kind of like, yeah, he's so cool. I wish I could be that cool. I also think that something that should be said about Dante is that Dante is going to go through aggressive change. Like he does with uh, Ninja Fury picking up the game. He's going to look completely different, and I imagine the game is going to feel very different. Will he be still saying, Flock off, Featherface? Probably. Um, <laughs> How? With their performance capture and their, the seriousness of those games. At first I thought, actually, I really like Ninja Theory, and I think they're a really good developer to have make this game. But after playing Enslaved, I, I kind of think they're not the right people. Not that I don't think they're going to make a good game. It's more that Devil May Cry is not a serious franchise in any sense. I mean, in Devil May Cry 3, he surfs on a missile while singing to himself. Yeah, I mean, it's not meant to be serious at all. It's completely cheesy, and it's, in fact... Bayonetta is probably the closest thing. Mm, actually, yeah, no, yeah, give it to the guys who made Vanquish and Bayonetta, definitely. Yeah, that those guys would be perfect, but... Or uh, the guys who made Darksiders. Oh, yeah, true. Although, one thing that does bother me is people's kind of aggressive reaction to this change. People are like, oh, it's... We don't like change! We don't oh, give, give change! To be, to be fair, though, Dante has kind of actually been different in every game he's been in. Mm. The only big difference of this one is his hair is black. Um, I mean, in the first Devil May Cry, he is more of like a Han Solo kind of... Uh, 
badass character with a heart of gold. In Devil May Cry 2, he's a bit of an emo. Oh, yeah, he's just and, miserable. And then in uh, Devil May Cry 3, he's kind of like this wacky, adrenaline junkie rock star. And then in Devil May Cry 4, he's more like a, a ladies' man, charmer type guy. So the, the guy hasn't been the same in every game. He's, he's totally been. inconsistent, actually. Yeah, yeah. But he's hard. There's that bit in Devil May Cry 1 where he gets his entire sword through his chest and then pulls himself off it, hilt first, so that it literally the hilt and handle goes through his fucking chest, rips out of him, and then gets down and pulls it out of the wall. That's hardcore. I think the one thing that is consistent with that character all the way through the series is that he seemingly does not care about the major events that are going on around him. Like, people could be dying, like, horrible things. Like, he could literally... So why give it to Ninja Theory? That's where everyone cares. Yeah. it'd It'd be interesting, definitely. It'll be a completely different game again. I think the series definitely needs like it needs something different it it needs a change but i kind of feel like that's already happened with bayonetta mm. i kind of feel like bayonetta is the sequel the devil may cry mm. five should be and i kind of feel like letting that character and that franchise die now i think it's die, uh, it, it, well, it's it's stay stagnant for a longer time. Yeah, send yeah. him away for a while. Like Solid Snake took a whole generation hiatus between the NES and the uh, PlayStation, so he missed out the 16-bit era. And look what happened to him when he came back. Yeah, yeah. Because on the, on the other thing, it's not like the Dante name really sells huge numbers anymore. Mm. I, I hate bringing you know, analysis into it quite so deep about well, you know, Devil May Cry 4 didn't really do very well, and that was on two platforms. But you know, mm. that is the case. It's, it's the series needs it a kick up the arse but well there's just been so many damn imitators since then I mean basically God of War came out since then and there's just a whole bunch of games like uh, Force Unleashed the Prince of Persia uh, games are, are now actually beginning to be a bit more like that Darksiders again Dante's Inferno basically you kill dudes and then green and red orbs come out of them it's a mechanic he, the way he fights I know this in your Star Wars podcast you mentioned this as a negative in uh, episode 3 but he does make it look like a dance but a dance that doesn't feel well that's okay because you're not trying to mine emotion out of Devil May Cry it's not trying to tell you a story he enjoys um, what he's doing he's not like angry like Kratos is who's full of rage I'm going to kill everything Hmm. or or serious like other characters he's just having a whale of a time he's enjoying it as much as you are I'm throwing this gun in the air while having a sandwich <laughs> um, he's he's completely ridiculous but really fun character if completely without depth Devil May Cry I'm sorry we closed at night again no password Whoa, slow down, babe. Well, well, what do we have here? Nature calls? It's in the back. So, 
You must be the handyman who'll take any dirty job. Am I correct? Almost. I only take special jobs. If you know what I mean. You're the man who lost a mother and a brother to evil 20 years ago. The son of the legendary Dark Knight Sparta, Mr. Dante. Well, the way I figure it, in this business a lot of your kind comes around. And if I kill each one that comes, eventually I should hit the jackpot sooner or later. In that case, you should be used to this sort of thing. Number 19, Link, from the Zelda series. Sinan Kuba. Link is really interesting and unique as a character in that he's not so much of a personality as a template. I mean, in terms of his personality, what do we really know? He is heroic, and I think that kind of defines him. You know, you could say, oh, he's determined, he is brave, he only looks out for others, but he's all kind of encapsulated within heroic. He's a very one-dimensional character. You could argue as well that in, in the Wind Waker and Phantom Hourglass sideline of Zelda, he's a bit more clumsy and endearing as a sort of childish character, but that's not really, like, there's not much more to say about him than that. But that, that's not to say he's a bad character at all. I think he absolutely deserves his place in this list, and I'm fighting his corner because what I, what I think is great about Link is that he is, he is a template. You have all these different links in all these different games. You're not playing the same link in any one game, minus a couple of exceptions. But these are links scattered across time. These are the links that are brought together, that are bound by this legend, just as all the Zeldas that you are saving are bound by this legend. I think that extends to how the player approaches Link as well. You know, he, he's got this broad appeal in that he is just the the hero who comes from the poor village who goes on to save the entire world and that's what he is in every single game and of course he's silent in every single game as well he's not totally silent that other characters can hear what he's saying because they will respond oh so you want to go to the castle do you it's this way so he must be asking a question but he's silent in that we can't hear what he's saying we don't ever hear his voice beyond the grunts of an attack and that way he stays kind of like a template as I, as I said he is very much this character where you just step into his shoes and you know exactly what he's about he is very much that fantasy fair hero and it's funny how in a weird way gaming has started to move away from that fantasy fair hero you want, we're trying to define our characters now so you, you very rarely get a game where you've just got this straight up Land, if you want to use that term, hero character, where you know everything about him straight from from the off. Whereas Zelda sticks to this route where we know what Link's about, we, we, and we don't want to know any more than that. You know, we don't want him to have these extra dimensions. We don't want him to become emotional. We don't want him to tell us about this sort of crippling side story to his life. We don't want him to become this multifaceted Final Fantasy s character. I think Link is this great example of how gaming can stick to its roots and it doesn't need to evolve in, in every single direction. It's great that it is evolving in certain directions but we don't need to change things like Zelda. And okay, maybe some parts of the gameplay need to be 
refined and maybe it doesn't rest on its laurels in terms of mechanics a bit too much but you take away that basic tenant of Link saving the world and getting the princess and that the game becomes something else and it's just not Zelda anymore it is so important that Link stays one dimensional that we know that he is just this hero guy I don't want to play like Emo Link I don't think many people do and if they do I think you can go play Emo Link there are other games but don't don't do that to my Zelda. Don't do that to Link, please. I don't think Nintendo ever will. I know. I think they know exactly what to do with Zelda. I think they've shown over the years that, well, okay, like I said, they have some kind of problems in terms of evolving the mechanics. They know to keep the story as simple as possible in terms of Link, Zelda, and Hyrule. But yeah, Link is great. It's awesome. Don't change him, Nintendo, please. Number 18, Erdnot Rex from Mass Effect. Jeremy Teong. He just seemed to have better lip sync. I know it's not like a, a, a big deal, but he had seemed to have this really cool lip syncing compared to most of the other digital actors. And um, I, I thought that was, uh, it just made him more lifelike to me. And he was, I, I remember this one part in, in ME1, and he was this really important guy in my squad. And there's this uh, mission on Vermeer, uh, which most people probably know about. And uh, you have to make a decision um, where you, you're going to, well, basically, uh, you're going to kill him. If he, if he doesn't uh, do things your way. It's and this I really intense a... standoff, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, really intense standoff. And, and it was one of those things where, you know, I was, I was racking my brain, and it was really stressful the first time I played it. And he was this really important part of my squad, and I didn't want to lose him. And um, I didn't have enough Paragon points to keep him alive. Every, every oh. kept reloading that page and that reloading that save, and... Uh, and every time, every option I chose, he ended up dying. So, oh man! Yeah, and my save point was at the start of Vermeer, so I, um, I, uh, I went right back to the beginning of the stage and um, did the whole mission on foot, so I'd get more experience points to um, to get more Paragon just to keep him. You know? and, and yeah, I, I was really attached to that character. I thought he was great. The Krogan race. In Mass Effect or in the the Mass Effect universe, I I think is a, is really fascinating, and that's another thing that Mass Effect do. I, look, I'm a huge Mass Effect fan, Me too. but um, that's another another thing they do with um the world, the, the universe, like all these different races and all the cultures and everything behind it. You know, it's just got a lot of room for great characters. This isn't right, Shepard. If there's a cure for the Genophage, we can't destroy it. This has to be done. Saren is the enemy, not me. Really? Saren created a cure for my people. You want to destroy it. Help me out here, Shepard. The lines between friend and foe are getting a little blurry from where I stand. I don't care what your personal feelings are. This base gets destroyed. Don't push me, Shepard. I followed you because I wanted to fight for something more than credits. I've been loyal to you so far. Hell, you did more for me than my family ever did. But if I'm going to keep following you, I need to know we're doing it for the right reasons. 
All you need to know is that I'm giving you an order to fall in line. So that's it. All this time, and that's all I get from you. How can you not see what this means to the Krogan? This base can't be destroyed. I won't allow it. Saren doesn't care about these Krogan. They're tools, puppets. He'll destroy them as soon as they're no longer useful to him. Is that what you want for your people? Number 17, Lara Croft from Tomb Raider. <laughs> like Lara Croft to me is um, David Turner is a hilarious character um, up from the get go from the first uh, it's it's hilarious now if you look at the first game first game to ever come out just look at the screenshots gameplays or whatever and to think that even at that time it was considered a sex symbol uh, is <laughs> was it's absolutely hilarious you know what I mean polygons I just imagine us all back then well you know pixelated asses and pointed tits were the thing that's what we were all into do you know what I mean I just I, I, I don't know how anyone can sit there and see that mess of texture art and, and pixels and and just the sound effect no like actually <laughs> It's just weird. She didn't even say yes. Oh, I want you to walk through that wall. No. No. <laughs> no. So I like, I think there was two groups with Lara. Um, I didn't mind her as a character. I just thought she was a little bit two-dimensional. Uh, in, in the even first, in 3D. Uh, yeah, even in 3D, she'd like the character was surprising too. So I think there was two groups. There was a, a group of people that sat there masturbating to these uh, <laughs> pictures on the screen. And then there was the group that I was in that instead of cracking one out just climb to the highest pillar they could find and then just drop off and <laughs> watch her crumble if she went floor. from high enough up she'd scream before she hit the wall oh walls. wasn't that the best oh creep when the scream started no <laughs> uh, but yeah I mean you can't knock Lara Croft as a character because you've just got to look at what she's become uh, and she represents like quite a large portion of game in history to be fair to her despite mm. the fact that she was just a bear of pointed tits feast your eyes on this Lara how does that make your wallet rumble I'm sorry I only play for sport but then you'll like a big park Peru vast mountain ranges to cover sheer walls of ice rocky crags savage winds and there's this little trinket an age-old artifact of mystical power is buried in the unfound tomb of Qualipec. That's my interest. You could leave tomorrow. Are you busy tomorrow? Number 16, Bayonetta. James Perkins and Darren Gargett. Is that actually her real name? Yeah. Her name is Bayonetta. Right. Yeah. She's got, she got a surname? Uh, not that I know of. 
But no, the reason I choose Bayonetta is, one, because I want to be different, and two, it's just the whole mood of the game is, you know, uplifting, it's just funny, she makes all these um, jokes and just tries to make a light heart of the situation, and she's just an all-round, just funny, laid-back character, and she just kicks ass. Not only does she kick ass, but she pretty much shows the entire ass as well. Thank you very much. Bayonetta. David Turner. Could easily be considered as the most sexiest uh, sexist sexist um, that was Freudian slip <laughs> the, the most uh, sexist she's the most sexiest girl ever yeah um, uh, no the most sexist character of all time um, I mean when you look at it from just a, a sort of base level she's you know <laughs> consumed with sex and innuendo and you know it's as if her someone... clothes are made out of her hair which yeah, she hits exactly. people with and becomes naked when she <laughs> <laughs> yeah I know but in a way I kind of think that maybe the character just does a complete circle and becomes quite the opposite because, because the way it's trying to shove sex through your screen after a while you kind of just become immune to it and the more interesting aspect of her characters is how powerful she is and how she isn't... I mean, she doesn't use sex as a weapon as such. No, she, she uses hair as a weapon. She, yeah, she kind of uses it as bait to, to then beat the shit out of the... Sexuality. Uh, yeah. the, the character, you know. Like, I mean, it could be interpreted, uh, interpreted so badly if you're just looking at, like, five minutes of the game. But as you play through the game, you realise that there's so much more to Bayonetta that she's not just... A, a walking fanny. <laughs> <laughs> she, she's actually um, actually quite a kick-ass and interesting character in herself. You know, she never seems intimidated by whatever she comes across. Um, she always uh, challenges and, uh, and usually conquers. Depends how crap you are in the game. Um, whatever sort of beast or, or sort of muscled-up brute is is trying to attack her. And I thought that was the more interesting aspect of Bayonetta so I don't know I kind of liked her I'm sorry I forgot to mention one of the reasons I hunt your kind you're much too ugly not to put out of your misery flock off featherface Number 15, Manny Calavera from Grim Fandango. All my friends are lonely widows and Frenchmen. Except me, Manny. I'm here to keep you sane. Tell me your system, Charlie. I can't tell you my secrets. Uh, just this. You have to become one with the bandit, Manny. You, you have to get inside the machine and, and make it one to pay. On second thought, stay away from my roulette tables. That's a nice suit. Where'd you steal it? Manny, if you learn to play the odds like Chow Chila Charlie, then maybe you too can have a suit this fine someday. Well, I've got a club to run, so... Oh yes, please, Manny. 
Manny Calvera belongs in a satirical kind of movie. He is a timeless, wonderful, lovable character. He is not special. He's not amazing. He's not superpowered. He's short. Hell, he wears stilts to try and make himself look taller. He's probably the most self-conscious Grim Reaper ever going to meet. Mike Burton. However, he's suave. He's sophisticated, and he is sarcastic. He has it down to a T, and he's hilarious. Every line coming from Manny Calvera's mouth is pretty much golden. He's one of the most fully realized living characters I've ever experienced, which is kind of ironic considering he's dead. He travels the underworld, trying to redeem himself. He spends years of hardship trying to rescue the damsel in, dr- in distress, and he becomes the unwitting leader of a revolution. Hell, he becomes the unwitting hero of the entire story. Um, he's gaming's Humphrey Bogart. I mean, he's just the way he moves, the way he talks, the way he acts. And you know what? He belongs on this list. He's original, he's one of a kind, and hopefully he will go down in history, and hopefully someday we will see him again in some kind of format. Who knows? Tim Schafer, I cannot thank you enough for providing us one of the greatest gaming characters of all time. Thank you. Number 14, The Prince of Persia, from Prince of Persia, and Sands of Time, and all the other Prince of Persia games. You see, this is an odd one for me, (laughs) because I don't really have anything for The Prince of Persia. Because let no, let me see how I explain this. So the first few games, I was captivated by the you know the platforming section, the rewind function, but the story itself, it was good enough to, to justify me playing through that world. But I never really tied to the prince himself. Um, obviously, you know, come you know the next couple of games, he went completely emo and, and rock god, which is kind of bizarre in it, itself. So I wasn't really there. But it, it was the remake. Now you can say what you want about the game mechanics of that game and the fact that Nathan Drake decided to jump on and do the voice but he, he was really interesting as a character very deep um, he played off brilliantly versus against Elika and yeah that's the one that I, I'm saying that you know it should be that Prince of Persia guy but I have a feeling that all the people that put the votes in once again it, it wasn't for him it was more for the earlier games sounds of time guy uh, it'd be interesting to know actually why fortitude to start off I want to be completely clear about which prince I is my favourite it's the prince from Sands of Time not the re- remake of Prince of Persia in 2008 which I never played or Warrior Within or Two Thrones because not the bad no, prince he had no real character in Two Thrones and in, in Warrior Within he you know went through his emo phase and no one likes that <laughs> um, but yeah in Sands of Time he starts off at the beginning of the story, you said like, you know, most people think time is like a river. He does that whole dialogue, and uh, you know, you be, you're thinking to yourself, man, he is so all-knowing. He got, he's probably the master of time. This is awesome. Then you get to actually play as him, and in the beginning scenes, and he's this winky little kid. It's like when the vizier tries to get the dagger, he's going, no, oh, father, the old man wants to touch me inappropriately. And he's um, and it, he's like finds the dagger, and he's uh, so unsure of himself and naive, and he, you know, screws over the entire kingdom when he puts it into the hourglass. You you see that it costs him pretty much everything, but because of the beginning, you know that he's going to get it back, and you're willing to just, uh, and you're already attached to him enough that you want to see, okay, I want to keep going, I want to get to this point where he's uh, feels like he's redeemed himself and he's mature. Throughout the game, when he kills his father, all the banter between him and uh, Farah. I just remember there was this one specific point where he had taken off his armor, so it was like the bare-chested and you're running along the walls, and that was all fun. 
And so when I'm playing the game, the full game, he's going, he's like got his armor on. Something about him with the armor on makes him look like more of a kid. And when it gets to that point where like he just rips off the armor and chucks it off, that you sort of get the kind of symbolic impression that he's sort of, as well as shedding his armor, he's shedding his burdens and his naivety. He's uh, becoming more of a man. He's uh, been taking responsibility. He's been learning that he's like, it's completely his fault, but he's got to man up and deal with it throughout the game. And, you know, it just comes to a great climax at the end of the game when he loses Farah, but he uh, decides that, no, I've got the dagger, I've got the power to change this, and I will go back, and now that I know what's happened, I can uh, try again. And he does, and it just works uh, so beautifully, in that it, and it just, like, makes you want to keep uh, playing to see, like, oh, how's he going to screw it up next, or how's he going to redeem himself? Just a great experience. I like the fact that whenever you die, he goes... No, that's not how it happened. And uh, it's it's like you're being told a tale, and then whenever you screw up, you're just deviating from the tale, and he shoves you back onto track. With the Dagger of Time, just as a character, you feel so much more capable in his hands. You know you've got all this incredibly acrobatic, daring stuff to do, but with the Dagger, you feel not safe, but you feel capable. And then at the end, it goes, right, no Dagger mop for you, and then you're like, without the Dagger, I'm nothing. And then you realise, no, no. I can do this, and it's a tough bit, but um, it's it's it really has a great arc for the character. Right? He he finally is able to stand on his own. As I mentioned, like all the dialogue between him and uh, and Farah throughout the game, what and the points are there together. My love, please don't leave me. What did you call me? It doesn't matter. The important thing is. I know how we can reach the Tower of Dawn. Of course, the Hourglass. All right. But this time, stay with me and pay attention. Can't spend all day chasing after you. Like, there's one point when you break the walls to go to the secret fountains to give you more life. Mm. Like, there's this one bit where he smashes the wall open and she's just like, Oh, I love it when you do that. And I just laughed out loud. Uh, having that happen just because it comes out of nowhere. He's like, just smashes, like, I love it when you do that. What the hell is this? And they like, do have some great banter together. I think that was actually kind of the uh, the precursor to Drake. They were like, well, actually, if you, you go through an adventure game with somebody that at your side to banter with, it's much more engaging. As you know, and when you when you're without her, you miss her. Yeah, and and it's all and it's also nice because it's not stopping the games. Like, hold on, these two have got to have a kind of scene together. Just hold mm. hold on, you can play in a bit. We've got to show that these two have a relationship. Hmm, this is interesting. Five mm. minutes later. Oh, right. Uh, pick up that bit of plastic. You can press the buttons again. And they bring that forward, actually. To, I know you said that this wasn't the prince you were talking about, but the uh, in the 2008 Prince of Persia, the relationship between, ironically, the Nathan Drake prince and uh, Elika is, is much more symbiotic, and she effectively is your restart points. Why are you doing this? It's not... You're not doing this for me, are you? I've seen you looking at me. I recognize that look. Hey, you're cute but not stay to fight a dark god cute. Would you have helped my father if he had asked you? He's not that cute either. I just want to know that I can rely on you. People can... well, they can... And you have a lot of experience with people? I have experience of men doing stupid things for women. Well, I only ever do stupid things for myself. You're an attractive lady. I've got a brain, too. Pity you're wasting both. And you're the person to lecture me on that? I have looks and brains then, do I? One you rely on too much, the other one you don't use at all. 
Number 13, John Jane Shepherd. Mass Effect. <laughs> you know, I actually called my uh, guy Jane, J-A-Y-N-E, Shepherd, and played him very much like Jane. I'd love to see the breakdown because I played it as a girl. Oh, you know, I played my girl, my first uh, Shepherd as a girl, and sh- uh, a girl she will always remain. Really cracking character. Yeah. It'll be different for everyone, but the, the way that... Shepard was pitched in my game took no shit off fools but at the same time there was a vulnerability to her and again really strong really capable female character uh, the, the fact that she can do everything that the male Shepard can do and you can experience everything that the male can do makes gender effectively meaningless in this game it's, which I think is it, a really good thing but it is funny though because if somebody did play this game as John which I think the majority of people I think I saw the stat of it was you know, 75% yeah. you know, played it as John I, I do believe they would have had somewhat of a different experience than my character as Jane because you know, once again I made her into a, a strong female um, character that you know could, wasn't really going to take much shit but she had a really caring side now she was kind of a James Cameron heroine I was, I was thinking more like Serenity in you know, one of the characters <laughs> you could have trained an entire army for what you spent to bring me back you're unique not just in ability or what you've experienced but in what you represent you stood for humanity at a key moment you're more than a soldier. You're a symbol. And I don't know if the Reapers understand fear, but you killed one. They have to respect that. If what you say is true, if the Reapers are behind this, I'd consider helping you. I'd be disappointed if you accepted any of this without seeing for yourself. I have a shuttle ready to take you to Freedom's Progress, the latest colony to be abducted. Miranda and Jacob will brief you. Is this a volunteer job, or am I being volunteered? You always have a choice, Shepard. If you don't find the evidence we're both looking for, we can part ways. But first, go to Freedom's Progress. Find any clues you can. Who's abducting the colonies? Do they have any connection to the Reapers? I brought you back. It's up to you to do the rest. No, I, I honestly think, you know, most people would play that as John, and I think they would have had a very different experience, you know. But it does go into this whole, you know, create your own character. Sure, that the storyline is is being fed to you much in, in the same way. But you can choose different dialogue lines. You can choose to make you know, a, a very aggressive character or, you know, a, a very friendly character. So, you know, for all these votes that he's got, it's very hard to actually simulate that down into what it really was about that character because I think most people's would have been pretty damn different I think overall whatever way you play her or him it, it just does it very very well and that speaks to the quality of the game itself and and how the characterization, despite all of these myriad choices you can make can still be that powerful I'm, I'm glad Shepard got this high I wish he or she was even higher yeah and I think it stands out as well that you know for all the content I played through Mass Effect 2 and all the different characters that you know, were there, I, I still think you know Jane or John is the standout, you know, in dialogue wise. So. Mm, mm. I just went with her. What would Starbuck do? Where playing things? <laughs> you can't go wrong with that. Yeah. Number 12, The Boss. 
Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater. Why'd you defect? I didn't. I'm loyal to the end, to my purpose. What about you, Jack? What's it going to be? Loyalty to your country or loyalty to me? Your country or your old mentor? The mission or your beliefs? Your duty to your unit or your personal feelings? You don't know the truth yet. But sooner or later you'll have to choose. I don't expect you to forgive me. But you can't defeat me either. You know me too well. Just look at that bandana. If you can't put the past behind you, you won't survive long. If we meet again, I'll kill you. Now, go home. I mean, this is my favourite female video game character of all time. Probably my favourite video game character of all time. Which is saying something. I'm, I'm not amazed she's not higher on the list. Uh, I'm actually almost amazed she's on the list at all, but considering how much patience it requires to play uh, Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater. And uh, since subsistence is fairly difficult to come by, it's uh, what well, she must have made quite an impression on the few people that did play it. I agree with you completely. I think she's, without a doubt, the the best female character in video games. And she's right up there with my favourite um, characters in games as well. The emotional roller coaster that she takes you on through that game is Joshua Garrity. Pretty much unlike anything else I've ever experienced in a game. I'm not going to go into any details because anyone mm. listening, to it's this, got spoiler warnings. Um, I, I was wondering about how we can even talk about her without spoiler warnings. Yeah. Uh, well, we can we can tell you a couple of things about her. She's played by Laurie Allen, who uh, is the voice of Diane Simmons in Family Guy, the uh, other female newscaster, as you probably guessed from listening to her voice just now. So when you first start playing the game, you're like, oh, my God, it's Diane Simmons. I'm not going to be able to take this character seriously. And <laughs> she, she turns up, and she's the most serious character in, in Metal Gear Solid ever. And there's not one thing funny about the boss. I think that, that's, that makes her different from every other character, I think. Um, and she basically spends most of the game beating the living shit out of Snake. Uh, she's his mentor. She's his, uh, you know, the person who taught him how to how to fight and how to be a soldier. And she taught him very hard throughout his mission. It appears she's defected to the other side, and uh, she keeps, you know, casting him down and saying, "Stop following me. Just go home." So you sp you eventually get to hate her because you feel like she's just this awful traitor. By the end, as I've said many times before, there's a turnaround. I'm not going to say exactly what happened, but there's a, a, an element of self-sacrifice and. Also, allusions towards the possible parentage of the snake line, which uh, leave you feeling completely different about this character. Um, one thing I'd say is the game does an excellent job of reflecting your feelings of, of the boss through Snake, mm. because Snake, as well as the player, is growing to hate and love her at the same time. Mm -hmm. He's really confused about how he feels about her. By the end, though, it gets resolved, but it, 
he's really torn apart, uh, torn apart by it during the game, and it's it's slowly, you know, it's rotting away at him, and it's it's really quite. I mean, out of all the Metal Gear Solid games, this version of Snake goes through the most pain and the most torment. Ooh, uh, see, he's up against Old Snake there, and Old Snake goes through a hell of a lot. They both pretty much have miserable lives, but I think yeah, yeah. Big Boss really has to come to terms with like his beliefs and what he's held dear for like ten years of the boss. And mm. I, while uh, Solid Snake goes through a lot, it, I don't think it it got to the point where he was actually questioning like mm. Mm. what the reason why he exists and what what purpose he has anymore. Also, she's party to the most uh, emotional kick in any game ever. I mean, I've, I've just listening to that music, which I'm probably going to play now. Well, the room gets a little dusty whenever I hear it, put it like that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the, the her ending. I mean, we can dance around the bush all day long. We could tell you what happens, but it wouldn't do it justice. Um, I think the, the only thing you can really do is either track down Metal Gear Solid Snake Eater uh, or go the whole hog, buy subsistence, spend the 70 quid or whatever it's going to cost you, uh, then sell it on. Uh, but at least experience this game fully and properly because you're what would be the equivalent. What's the best female performance in any movie ever, making her the most important female in cinema ever? Well, I don't know about the most important female I- character in cinema, but... I would draw comparisons to the bride in Kill Bill. Ooh, um, yeah, yeah, nice. They're not they're not exactly the same character. There are um, differences, but I feel like oh, there's similarities. That, yeah, that power and that passion that they both share is is quite. It leaves you feeling quite inadequate in, in comparison, and it's quite mm. intimidating. Those characters are just so intense. It's, Indeed, and the the sacrifice and what's been done to them, and having a child rent out of them, yeah, massive, massive thumbs up to the boss. If more people had played this game, she'd be number one, I suspect. Yeah. Yeah.
Number 11, Sephiroth from Final Fantasy VII. Carolyn Sonic. Sephiroth, my favorite character from Final Fantasy VII. No, seriously, my favorite. That scene where he walked through the fire in Nibelheim and made me sit up and say, well, hello, mister. But it also pained me to have to beat him in the ending battle. And oh, what a battle. Hell, even Cloud says about Sephiroth, quote, his strength is unreal. He is far stronger in reality than any story you might have heard about him, unquote. You're damn right. He's got the best costume, he's got the best theme in any Final Fantasy game, and the greatest theme that Nobu Uematsu has ever written. No other theme gives me the chills like One Winged Angel. I also love the fact that he's one of the hardest Colosseum bosses in Kingdom Hearts. He's got that unnaturally long sword that he wields with deadly and graceful precision. He's got the moody swagger of someone who believes they're right. Yes, it's also a sign of a megalomaniac with a messiah complex, a god complex, and quite possibly an Oedipus complex, but damn it, he's still fucking cool. Which makes him my favorite. Sephiroth is a very important character to me. Final Fantasy VII was one of the games that really made me into a gamer. The reason why Sephiroth is so important is because he was one of the first gaming villains that I was genuinely intimidated by. Mm. That game does such a good job of setting him up as a character. Um, Towards the beginning of the game, you think your enemy is Shinra, and you... Sephiroth is only mentioned passingly, like, oh, you know that Sephiroth guy? He's a badass, so I don't want to mess with him. That's a direct quote, by the way. Yeah, yeah. And um, and then all of a sudden, like, I think uh, it's been a while since I played the game. I think you're all locked up in prison. In yeah, the, and then he kills everyone. He just slaughters everyone. And then you go up to who you thought was the villain in the game, mm. and you go up to his desk, and he's got a massive sword through his chest. <laughs> and like, that, oh, like, maybe there's another player in this game. And you're like, from that moment on, you're like, hmm, Sephiroth, not one through whom to fuck with. There's a, like an unstableness to his character every time he appears. Like, you're not quite sure what he's going to do. Every time I met him, I was like, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to fight him yet. Please don't let me fight him. I'm not ready. Um, well, it's perfectly displayed when you're, when you're, you play as Sephiroth for a very short while in a flashback. And Cloud is pathetic and like, he nudges a dragon with his sword and nothing happens and the dragon kills him. And then Sephiroth just, 
does a standard attack and it dis- just lays waste to the dragon. It's a brilliant mathematical way to show his in- exceptional power in comparison to your own and how much grinding you're going to have to do before you're even vaguely that level. God, the more I think about it, Final Fantasy VII did did do a good job at telling its story. I know the dialogue is a little bit hokey by today's standards, but that story is so well structured in the way it introduces characters. I, I really liked it. It's got a great. It gives everyone something personal to do, something that the later Final Fantasies haven't quite done, in my eyes. Uh, everyone's got their own sort of dramatic story to follow out, and a lot of them are optional. But Sephiroth, yes, indeed. I mean, there's always this sort of trope in Japanese uh, anime uh, that if a guy's got really long white hair and looks vaguely feminine, he a badass. Stay away from him. He could kill you by looking at you. Number 10, Kratos from God of War. Now, the thing about Kratos is, what most people don't realize, is he's a very, very honest person. He doesn't hide his emotions, he doesn't bottle them up, he tells you how he feels at all times. Unfortunately, all he ever feels is hate and rage, and the only way he has of expressing this is by ripping you apart and ripping everyone else apart. He thrives on it. He's the god of war, for crying out loud. He is a god killer. But one thing about this guy, he is gullible. I mean, he gets fooled by gods, then he gets fooled by titans, and then he gets fooled by gods again. If it wasn't for the fact that he's terrifyingly strong and powerful, he'd probably be a very great character to take the piss out of and play pranks on, because he would probably fall for all of them. Kratos is at his best when he's all about the vengeance, when he's all about the murder, when he's all about revenge. He will do anything. He will kill anyone to get his way. You know what? Kratos is actually a jerk. I love him for it. He's a horrible, horrible, horrible person. You see it in his eyes when he tears people apart. It's when he's living the most. He's just a horrible, big-ass bully. Yeah, fine, he takes on things like literally a hundred times the size of him, but he's still a bad, bad person, and I love him for it. He's probably the best anti-hero in any game I know of that you actually get to play and play through as. And once again, like a lot of characters on this list, his voice is so memorable. He has one volume, and it's loud, and it sounds like this. It always sounds angry, and it always sounds like he wants to punch something. Quite frankly, I think it's because he's quite sensitive. I mean, let's be honest, he gets angry very quickly, so it's probably down to the daddy issues he has with what with people. Oop, spoiler. <clears throat> Kratos, I love you. Never stop being a dick. Ares, there is nothing you can put in my way to stop me. I have taught you many ways to kill a mortal, Kratos. Flesh that burns, bones that break. But to break a man's spirit is to truly destroy him. I still have allies in Olympus, Ares. Now, you will see how strong I am. 
number nine, Master Chief, the Halo series. Oh, I feel like I should have so much to say about him. Listen to your heart. <laughs> I find it hard because I've played this character so much, you know, hundreds and, and thousands of hours worth of um, both multiplayer and single player. And I don't know what it is. I, I think there's, there's a certain kind of kid inside me that, that wants to be that space action hero. And I don't think in most games have really got it right by that point. But overall, I always feel like it was the gameplay first that made Halo the experience that I, I fell in love with. Master Chief is a, a solid character, and I know that sounds terrible. You know, but there is a lot of and, and there's a lot of high-profile uh, characters we've been reading down this list uh, throughout you know throughout the hours. So. I'm surprised I don't have more to say about him, but honestly, he's he's just... He's like the big kid inside me. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? That I should have more to say than that? I think there's a lot there that, that reminds me of Robocop. It feels like John... Although in, in Robocop he's taken away from a life he had... Uh, John was taken away as a child. If you read the um, the yeah, extended the expanded it's stuff, the, it's the expanded fiction that isn't really you know, given within the game. You don't get given much to work with oh. in the game. So you just you're a man again who has to do his job. But there's a selflessness about him, and there's a sense of well, I'm going to do whatever I can. I will sacrifice whatever required yeah. to to finish this war. Yeah, to I, protect. The the thing that I I love about Master Chief is he. he <laughs> It's not that he's a god and not that he's unstoppable, but he has that aura about him. Well, if Master Chief can't succeed, then the world is doomed. And that's a pretty powerful aspect to have within any character. And the, the thing that makes, the sums up the whole character for me is the final words that he says at the end of Halo 3, uh, legendary cutscene at the end. Just every time he says it, tingles down the back of my spine. It, it very much speaks of the once and future king. Here's King Arthur going into his uh, grave in Avalon one day to be summoned when, at, at, at the hour, hour of darkest need. Ooh, I love that kind of mythology. Chief, can you hear me? I thought I'd lost you too. What happened? I'm not sure. When Halo fired, it shook itself to pieces. Did a number on the Ark. The portal couldn't sustain itself. We made it through just as it collapsed. Well, some of us made it. Covenant, a flood, it's finished. It's finished. I'll drop a beacon, but it'll be a while before anyone finds us. Years, even. 
Wake me when you need me. Number eight, Golden Freeman from the Half-Life series. Joshua Garrity. <sighs> right, okay. Now, let me just say, before I say anything, I love Half-Life 2. It's one of my favourite games of all time. It's my favourite first-person shooter. So when I say this, understand I'm not saying this out of hatred or bitterness towards the franchise. <laughs> Gordon Freeman is not a character. He is you. Anyone who voted for Gordon Freeman, you're voting out of vanity because you're actually voting for yourself. <laughs> from from the opening scene of the, the train into work to, to the end scene, which I won't spoil for anyone, but for, for every second you're, you're spent inside Gordon Freeman's, uh, I nearly said HIV suit then, HGV suit. James Perkins and Darren Gargett. You, you feel like you're the, the silent hero of the entire world. Like, he never says a single word. He has a crowbar, and he beats the shit out of people. And if you look at him from a different perspective, he looks like, like a, a geek. He is a geek. He's a massive geek. But you would never want to go one-on-one with him, because he would just fuck you up. The thing that bothers me about Freeman is that ultimately you can choose to discharge around the room, hitting things with your crowbar while scientists are trying to talk to you and tell you about very important stuff. And it doesn't make any difference. Effectively, you're just present in a three-dimensional cutscene. Um, only you're completely twisting the uh, narrative of the cutscene. So it's like, Gordon, as Gordon was told about the nature of the Combine, he ran around the room and whacked things with his crowbar, and then he got chased by a chicken. That's one thing I don't like. The other thing is that because he never says anything, it requires all the other characters to emote for him. So Alex will sort of come into the room and go, I can see on your face you're upset but you want to help us and you're like well I, I guess I am uh, you just show me where to go next what next garbage to jump over what boat to get into and what combine to shoot I, I don't feel that Gordon ever makes any real decisions in the game he's just shunted from one place to the other and you don't get to see inside his mind you only get to see his action I mean that it gives you a purity of character because he's a man of, of, of deed and not thought but at the same time he's supposed to be a scientist couldn't they have gotten something out of that doesn't mean it's just, not a great game. Just that he's no, no, yeah, really yeah. a character. He's just I mean, the body you're in. Yeah, that yeah. The situation you're in. And that that's basically how I see it when I play the game. I, I'm not playing a character. I'm just being me in a game world. So that's fine. But when people start saying, Oh, Gordon Freeman, he's one of the best characters ever. I'm like, no, he's just <laughs> a shell for you to wear when you're in the game. That's all he is. Now, I actually think this is somewhat controversial. <laughs> yeah, we've already got people saying he's not a character. He's not. <laughs> he's a face. He's not a face. No, you don't even get a face. He's, he's an avatar, but then, oh, it's... I'd love to hear the other arguments then. Uh, maybe I shouldn't speak over this. because Paul would argue that Gordy Freeman is awesome. The problem I have with Gordon Freeman as being as high up as he is, he himself isn't a character as in you've seen him on screen he's interacting with stuff that you know there isn't cutscenes with his face i mean we know what he looks like from box art pretty much and but it, it's the people that interact with you 
around that character but makes you believe you know who this person is you know how nerdy he is and, and kind of they build his him as a character which is so unique and weird at the same time I've got it he's Maris in Frasier yeah it's the mythos <laughs> of a character this guy you never see and never says a word but everybody else is like oh I know you're worried and you're like well I guess Gordon's face must be worried right now time Dr. Freeman Is it really that time again? It seems as if you only just arrived. You've done a great deal in a small time span. You've done so well, in fact, that I've received some interesting offers for your services. Ordinarily, I wouldn't contemplate them, but these are extraordinary times. Rather than offer you the illusion of free choice, I will take the liberty of choosing for you. If and when your time comes round again. I do apologize for what must seem to you an arbitrary imposition, Dr. Freeman. I trust it will all make sense to you in the course of... Well... I'm really not at liberty to say. In the meantime, this is where I get off. And number seven, Guybrush Threepwood from the Monkey Island series. Dan Nielsen. Okay. Guybrush Ulysses Threewood of Monkey Island fame. A, uh, a prototypical Tim Schafer, Ron Gilbert character from the old days of adventure games in the 1990s. Uh, and a personal favorite of mine, always a very amusing character. Uh, similar to, similar in some cases to another character I talked about, Raz, who is a guy with all sorts of <laughs> incompetence and inability to do things, namely pirating, and yet a remarkable self-confidence that is totally undeserved, uh, which makes, comedically, makes him fantastic. Um, you know, and throughout each game, he somehow bumbles his way through and, and manages to actually accomplish some pirating in some cases, but never quite in the way he expects to. Uh, Oh, and the beard and mustache he grows for the second Monkey Island game. Fantastic. How much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? A woodchuck could chuck no amount of wood since a woodchuck can't chuck wood. But if a woodchuck could chuck and woodchuck some amount of wood, what amount of wood would a woodchuck chuck? Even if a woodchuck could chuck wood, and even if a woodchuck would chuck wood, should a woodchuck chuck wood? A woodchuck should chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood, as long as a woodchuck would chuck wood. Oh, shut up. He's always chasing after uh, Elaine throughout the games in an attempt to woo her, I suppose, which uh, 
I think is some of the best comedy personally in some of these games but you know he's primarily a comedic device uh, really funny has some fantastically awkward dialogue throughout the games and uh, is occasionally referred to as fancy pants or has his last name mispronounced by many characters all the time uh, Creepwood Threekwood Three Pillow really fun really enjoyable character that probably not everybody is familiar with from those early adventure games but a lot of fun Is that a owl? Ah, curse you old school adventure game. Uh-huh. One five 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 cheater. LucasArts Games hint line. Uh, yeah, I'm stuck in the Dinky Island jungle in Monkey Island 2. So what do I do next? Sir, are you playing classic monkey or new and improved monkey? Um, classic monkey? Sir, there's a button for that. Of course there is. Thank you for calling LucasArts hint line. We hope your call was enjoyable. So that's what an evil zombie pirate hellbent on my destruction looks like. Wait, what? Yeah. Uh, change it back! Change it back! Change it back! Number six. Mario from a lot, a lot of Mario games. I think his name is Mario Mario, according to the movie. Is that canon? It's me, Mario! Hello! That's not canon. Why is Mario this high? He's not a character! He's never even been worried! Because he's everything that the early game industry represents. He's the character that everybody grew up with. I mean, if you... If you show any... Not good enough! uh, If you show anyone a picture of Mario, more than likely they're going to say, well, yeah, that's Mario. He's he's the... Bigger than Jesus, do you think? But there was that there was that study, wasn't there, where they went round oh, showed pictures of Mario and Jesus, and more people got Mario, <laughs> which is horrible to think it's about. Because kids spend more time I, with Mario. But no, I, I, I don't begrudge him being as high as he is. I, I think you know he's a testament of you know the power of the games industry. You know, um, sure, is he a character in, in the sense of what we you know we've been talking about? You know, the strong leads and you know the voice acting and all that stuff. No. You know, at the end of the day, he does the same thing. He saves the princess. It's it's kind of as cliché as gaming can get. But he is a iconic figure, um, and maybe he doesn't deserve then to be as maybe as high on this list. But you know, <laughs> he's Mario, dude. This list without Mario. Well, I'm glad people have taken him into their hearts. But I just feel like almost like that for a large amount of them, they were just like, oh, I've got to put Mario on there. I think there's an aspect of that, yes. <laughs> It's Mario! Paying lip service for the hundreds of hours of quality gameplay. I never really found Mario that much of a great character. All he ever did was to save Princess Peach and occasionally jump on a Goomba. 
for a plumber, he didn't even mend many pipes. He just decided to jump into them. Scott Yunson. I find Mario is just kind of the perfect personification of platforming gameplay. He's a game mechanic in a dumpy plumber's skin. And that just kind of makes the Mario games awesome, because that's all they need. Gameplay. They don't really need a story or a main character, so I don't see why Mario should be considered one of the greatest characters of all time. He can jump, and he can run. Okay, you get, might get a few fancy abilities, but essentially they all involve the same central mechanic. Get from one platform to another. Hey, maybe you can create a platform out of cloud using a cloud suit, but still. It's the same central thing. Try to get from one spot to another using generally jump or run or whatever. It's not really a character. He doesn't have an intriguing story at all. He's just there trying to save Princess Peach every single game. Alex Vance from the Half-Life series. Hey, Gordon, man, you made it. Dad. Alex. I was so afraid I wouldn't see you again. There, there, sweetheart. We're together now. That's all that matters. And look at you, son. <laughs> I knew if you both stayed together, you could get through anything. Yeah? We make a pretty good team. <laughs> yeah, well, that's good, because, well, now that the... Suppression feels down. We all have to do our part. Dad! Can you blame an old man for warning grandkids? <laughs> Joshua Garrity. Yeah, so Alex Vance, uh, the, what, the first thing that you notice about her is she doesn't have gigantic tits. Is there anything else about her? Well, um, I, I found her rather uh, charming as a character. She was really humorous. Um, she's kind of... I feel like Elena Fisher might owe mm. a little bit to Alex Vance as well. She was... As you were playing along, she'd make little quips and jokes, and she basic. I think she basically compensated for Gordon Freeman's complete lack of character. She adds a, not so much in the original Half-Life 2. I'm not going to go into any spoilers, because I know you haven't finished Episode 2, have you? Or Episode 1, for that matter. All right. In Episode 1 and Episode 2, she starts to basically shape the emotional core of Half-Life. Uh. A lot of really messed up crap happens to her, especially in episode two, where you're like, Jesus Christ, I really feel for this character now. Like, you feel really sorry for her in certain points. And uh, in Half-Life 2, the original, you don't really get that that attached to her because she's more of a, hey, hello, I'm Alex. Uh, I'll yeah. be your guide. I'll, I'll be your. Yeah. I'll shunt you forwards to the next scene. Yeah, but um, she gets. She has a lot more substance later on, and she, I think the real reason why she's on this list is because she comes off as really real. I don't think she's the most interesting character in video games, but she was really charming. She was really refreshing to have a character that 
that normal compared to Tomb Raider and blah 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 blah. Well, she's not put in there obviously just for sex appeal, which oh, is no, which yeah. was a step in video game terms. Yeah, yeah. Now, unlike Gordon, I consider Alex to be a character, a, a very good character as well. I'm not even really a fan of Half-Life 2, but she did well for selling that world. And once again, a strong female lead. It seems pretty obvious, and, and I think a lot of the, the female characters that we've talked about before takes a lot of homage from yeah. uh, Alex. You know, I, I think you know throughout the industry, she was one of the first strong female leads. That I think most people jumped yeah. into, and a world that was pretty much you know, it was, you know, full of gunfighting and shooting and whatnot. But she was strangely once again the love interest of, of Gordon Freeman but not quite you know there's always that well you know are we aren't we and you know of course you, you never see it but you know I'm desperate to get to, to number three to find out actually you know where that, that relationship finally ends up but uh, maybe that's part of it that you know, this relationship we've been a part of for what seems a, you know, like a decade now because <laughs> it's just taken so long for these games to come out but we also we care about her because she cares she cares about her father and then obviously there's a certain there's events that happen which which put her through an emotional ringer so it's it's an, we we get to share and empathize with that character because we see what she goes through isn't it odd that we're, we're basically saying can we have characters in video games that are human hmm it's not that odd I, I was just thinking of uh, a strong female character who's physically strong but actually rubbish as a character Ivy in Soul Calibur there's nothing to her She's just a pair of tits and a, and a, a clever sword. Well, that was a nice clean getaway. I don't know what's in this copy we made, but they're not thrilled about us having it. You know, all things considered, we're not doing too good. Oh no. It's a soccer car. God damn the combine. This is what happens to you if you resist. Or if you're just in the wrong place at the wrong time. God, I hope you don't remember who you were. All right. Number four, John Marston, Red Dead Redemption. Oh, bury me not on the lone prairie where the coyotes wail and the wind blows free. And when I die, don't bury me Neath the western sky on the lone prairie David Turner He's one of the most interested and, and probably complicated characters bar anything that's in a, a, a Metal Gear Solid game um, in gaming history for me I found him. I, I found him so interesting uh, from the get-go, from walking off the train station and, and ending up in Bonnie's farm, and the way he was sort of reacting with her. And I love the fact that the game tried to make you think that he was a decent guy, but also gives you the option to be an asshole. Do you know what I mean? You can go and kill innocents. You can, like in all Grand Theft Auto games, you can go and be a, a, a dick. Yet, when you're walking in and out of a bar, you're like, a prostitute comes up to you and offers herself to you, and he's like, no, no, thank you, ma'am, I can't live with the guilt. You know what I mean? So, to go out and, and kill innocents, although you can do it, I don't think I killed 
one innocent sex person. Sex is not his vice. No, but also I, I think it's a better frame for that character because in, in the West, John Marston can go out and kill a bunch of people. Well, that's kind of what happened in the West. It doesn't work so well when you're in a city environment where, quite frankly, if you shoot somebody in the city, you, you're not going to get away with it. They have forensics. Yeah, they're... <laughs> Yeah, where it, the context of there is that you don't necessarily think he's a mass murderer. He's just defending himself, his land, and other people. Mm. But but what what I found really interesting as well is that um, it put you through certain emotions that that John was going through, and um, it really put you in his shoes and and sort of um, um, you could immerse yourself into the character uh, in, in s- several situations. Like for example. Um, you get used to stopping for strangers and helping them out mm. in the first part of the game. Then when you go over to Mexico, have you been to Mexico yet, Yeah, Alex? So, like, one of the first times I went over to Mexico, I got on my horse and I'm riding along and um, a little explanation mark, you know, popped up on my um, uh, on my radar. And um, it's a woman crying for help. It looks like her wagon's broken down. So you get off the horse, walk over to her. Then out the back of the wagon comes five or six Mexicans all pointing guns at you saying, <laughs> give us a hundred bucks or we'll kill you. And I just thought, oh no. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I just thought like I was there and I just thought <laughs> I felt conned by the video game. Um, and it, because of that, because I was so into the character, I just paid them the money. Whereas in a normal game, I'd think I'll just shoot them, get killed, and and then restart. But in this one, I was like, just plan the money, let them get away, and I'll get on with my shit. And then from then on, no matter what was going on in Mexico, if someone was going, oh, help me, sir, I'd be like, fuck you, sticking John Marston with his finger up at him as he's riding past <laughs> on his kick-ass horse that he's just uh, um, stolen. But I, I don't know, I just... With Marston, it, it, I I felt so in love with the character that I didn't want bad things to happen to him. I wa- I really wanted him to be a good guy. Um, so there was no um, fault of me going and buying a suit that would help me cheat at poker or um, shooting innocent people to steal money from them. There was no, there was, none of that was going through my head. It was just, I just wanted to help people. Um, and I paid the price for that. I felt really connected with him. And, and that was from start to finish. What are you doing here, gringo? I don't remember inviting you to my country. I don't think you did, amigo. I mean, you no harm. <laughs> you mean us no harm? This is funny. <laughs> what harm? could you do to us exactly? (laughs) (laughs) Nothing, amigo. Now, I appreciate the welcome committee, but I'd hate to spoil a beautiful afternoon on such beautiful land with any further unpleasantries. If you'll excuse me. Uh, Holy gringo, I think you're forgetting something. A little taxation. (laughs) I have a large family. (laughs) Very big. I too have a family friend, so that we may see our families again, I suggest we part ways amicably. (laughs) Can I see the boots, Gringo? I think you can see them from where you're standing just fine, senor. 
Take off the boots, Americano. As you wish. Number three, Soddy Snake. It's Snake. I'm in front of the disposal facility. Excellent, Snake. Age hasn't slowed you down one bit. How's that sneaking suit working out? I'm nice and dry, but it's a little hard to move. Bear with it. It's designed to prevent hypothermia. This is Alaska, you know. Take it easy. I'm grateful. If it weren't for your suit and your shot, I would have turned into a popsicle out there. An anti-freezing peptide, Snake. All of the genome soldiers in this exercise are using it. I see. I'm relieved to hear that. Already tested, huh? By the way, how's the diversionary operation going? Two F-16s just took off from Galena and are headed your way. The terrorist radar should have already picked them up. Metal Gear Solid. Metal Gear. I recently started watching all the uh, old the Metal Gear Solid uh, cutscenes strung together in the form of movies on YouTube, and I've got to say. The first Metal Gear Solid game, I mean, it's cheesy as hell, and if you made it into a movie, it would be almost of Michael Bay standards, but the actual character is, pardon the phrase, solid enough, and you care about him, and he's kind of Basil Exposition half the time, where he, you know, he explains to you too much, and goddamn Kojima needs an editor watching these things. You feel his absence in Metal Gear Solid 2, like a missing limb when you're stuck with Raiden for most of the game. Just externalizing Solid Snake, making him a character that Raiden talks about and observes rather than actually being able to embody him. It's awful. You feel like you, it's just, just feels completely wrong. So when you get back to being able to play him, sort of, in Metal Gear Solid 3, it feels like you're back in the right shoes again. And then in Metal Gear Solid 4, you suddenly realize when you're playing it, I'm never going to be able to play Young Snake again. And it's, it was just this one-off single experience where you could actually play as Young Snake through the entirety of the game. Solid Snake, that is, because he's not the same guy as Naked Snake. I mean, he, he's a, he serves as a cipher for Kojima's philosophies on war, whilst at the same time being able to commit horrendous acts of violence. It's, it's this weird kind of double standard slash uh, paradox that uh, Kojima sort of rustles up in front of us and, and, and you're along for the ride the whole time. But Snake is one of the few characters on this list that I would actually like to sit down and have a drink with. Also, um, he's one of the few characters where I feel like we've, you know, we've seen his entire life. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you know, We've gone from you know his conception or cloning, whatever, you know, don't want to get too deep into the mythology, but you know, we've seen him from you know, his first combat mission to ultimately the the the, the twilight years. You know, I'd yeah. like to say the end of his life, but you know that doesn't quite pan out the, the way that we wanted it. But you know the, the the idea is still there. You know we've seen him you know pretty much grow as a character and and then you know retire. And how often do you ever get to see that? You know a yeah. character that you you love and respect and then see get old and you know crippled almost. That's just yeah, that's fantastic storytelling. Beowulf. Springs to mind. When, when, when you think of that, you think literature. You think really some fantastic films. It doesn't happen all that often in games. They don't have the the, the, the scope.
I mean, let's face it, Metal Gear Solid games are full of the most batshit mental um, characters in the history of video games, right? Yeah. I think we'll all agree that. And I think Solid Snake is one of the more sane ones. David Turner. But I think where they went with him, especially in the last one, uh, was that number four, wasn't it? The last yes. one. Well, technically the last one was Peace Walker, but it was, um, in terms of chronology, the last one was four. And where they went with four, kind of, <laughs> I found it really interesting. Um, because Solid Snake was in my eyes was always this young sort of uh, mental assassin um and then to suddenly dump him in you know sort of some third world country war-torn third world country with a back problem (laughs) (laughs) despite you kind of think and despite that like i love the fact that his determination and grit and and sort of dark side of his character was still shining through yet you you kind of knew that it maybe should have got a Zimmer frame to go out with, or, or, or just a. Or just that's a selectable on the uh, items menu. I I think I liked the character because he's the only one I got in the Metal Gear Solid games. <laughs> when you look at like sort of Big Boss and um, what's the vampire guy called? Oh, Vamp. Yeah, but how could I forget that? But but when you look at like people like Vamp, and you just think. Despite the fact that Solid Snake is such an out there character with such a weird job and um, such a strange attitude to the world around him, you can relate to him more than anyone else in that fucking world because most of the people in that game are bisexual vampires. <laughs> <laughs> or G.I. Joes, let's face it. Or overly overly emotional scientists, you know what I mean? And at number two, (gasps) Nathan Drake. (sighs) So close to being number one. So close. I'm not going to tell you how many votes were in it on this one, folks. But it was close. <laughs> this is the guy I wanted to win. I, I don't know. We could go on about him for hours, but when it comes down to it, he's a guy who's fun to be around, and he's always in trouble, and he always feels like he's at the edge of his abilities. He's John McClane, and he's not James Bond. He's not totally in control. He's, he's, he's a man who... Who gets through on the skin of his teeth all the time. It's almost like he doesn't want to be there, but you so desperately want to be there that it's like you're taking him along for the ride. Yeah, he has a great sense of, oh no, now what? And then kind of almost comically getting through situations. Yeah. But you as a player are loving that because you don't know whether, you know, of course he's going to survive, but there's moments that you're like, well, how the hell am I going to get out of this situation? And because of the performance capture, it just feels like you're you're being a part of the action. Yeah, yeah. Rather than just a character on the screen that you know, you're shooting people, it's far more than that. I've said this, you know, time and time again, I think the gameplay of Uncharted is, is nothing special. But I think it's pretty damn special. Well, I, I still say that It's game, not the original, thing, but yeah. it's very smoothly done. The thing that makes that game is the characters within there, and Nathan Drake is the pin- pinnacle of that. And yes, sure, 
you know, we're all kind of sick of the, the same old voiceover of Nathan Drake. Every game seems to want to have its own version of Nathan yeah, Drake. Nolan North was overexposed, unfortunately. Yes, but then there's a good reason for that because he's uh, he's that rare thing, and and even this doesn't often happen in, in films, you know. Bond is kind of a franchise that kind of plays on this, but and I think John McClane is a brilliant shout there, Alex. That actually I've never really put those two together, but it's the kind of the same thing. You know, he's a lovable rogue, and you know, um, Han Solo. Yes, it, it's that kind of character. Is that look, they're not perfect. Oh, Malcolm Reynolds, and, how could we forget? <laughs> you know, they're not perfect, and there's a, a lot of character flaws for themselves. But at the end of the day, you know. They're kind of cool. We all want to be a Nathan Drake. We want to be a, a, a McLean. So, yeah, I, I, I'm honestly disappointed he, he never made it to number one. Um, but, uh, yeah, Nathan Drake. What a guy. What a guy. Bring on Uncharted 3. <laughs> what a guy. Oh. You overlooked one little detail, didn't you, partner? What? Face it, genius, you've been played. Oh, really? Hey, hey, hey! Jackass, you're ruining the show here. Ah, oh, what a shame. Sully! I really can't leave you alone for a minute. Oh, man, am I glad to see you. How you doing, kid? Uh, I'm doing just great. So, had to grease a few palms. Did go through the rest of your money. And a good chunk of my own, but... Hey. Jesus, you stink. Yeah, not half as bad as that cigar. Yeah. Hey, how'd you find me? Well, uh friend of yours asked for my help. Hello, Nate. Oh, no. No. Now, wait a second. Sully, kick her out and shut the door. We're safer in here. Just wait a goddamn minute. Hear her out. Thank you, Victor. Hey, no offense, Sully, but you're not exactly the best judge of character, especially when it comes to women. Fair enough. All the same. Dear God. Oh, no, it's not that bad. Look, I have my own bucket. Ooh. Last cell I was in, eight of us had to share. Listen, Nate. You know something I really appreciate you dropping by? But if you and Flynn hadn't screwed me over in the first no, place, I wouldn't have been rotting in this shithole for Listen, the last three Nate. months. So excuse me if I'm not just, you know, leaping into your arms. I had nothing to do with it. Right. I told you. He's not going to listen to me. Screw this. Nate, they found the ships. In Borneo. Yes. And the Chintamani Stone? How do you know about that? Do you really think Flynn could have figured that out on his own? All right, good point. No, they haven't found it yet. You mean they? Flynn and his client, Lazarevich. You know, the nutcase. They've been working together all along. All right, then. If they haven't found the stone, that means there's still time. You're going to get us into that dig site. We are going to snatch that treasure right out from under them. They'll never see it coming. Yeah, well, payback's a bitch. Nathan Drake is probably the best male character in a video game. He's not my favorite, but in terms of a character that is fleshed out, feels real... Joshua Garrity. Feels like you could actually meet him in real life. Even though the gameplay may not reflect how he is in the cutscenes, because in the game he's actually a murderer of epic proportions. <laughs> I think he's set a high watermark for... Um, for video game characters. I think everyone's going to be trying to live up to the standard... Well, in Uncharted in general, the characters in that game are at a level that I don't think many other game series are at. To me, Nathan Drake shouldn't work. You know? He's... 
an average-looking guy with average hair and uh, just a completely average-looking person, um, and he, he's wisecracking, um, and he could have so easily been Bubsy. You know what I mean? <laughs> he, he could have so easily... Notice Bubsy is not on this list. No, he's, he's not. He's certainly not. But for some reason... Um, and I think that's largely down to the voice acting. David Turner. And even the animations at some point, the cutscenes, he does work. And you do fall in love with him. Even though he's everything you hate in humanity rolled into one. Well, averageness and being also a mass murderer. You've got... Uh, well, like a tucked in shirt and, you know... It's, it's a half tuck. And, and, getting, and getting all the chicks but I think that like the, the people around him as well making what he is because Sully I thought was a, a cracking character in those series like so far they'll ruin him no, number three they'll ruin him um, but <laughs> I thought the way he was interacting with Sully and, and the you know sort of the damsel in distress people she's within not the... a damsel in distress are you talking about Elena? no I was talking about the second lady. Chloe? yeah she's... Chloe is not a damsel in distress how dare you emotionally she was no she isn't she's a constant like <laughs> turn cut you're like is she fucking me over is she not yeah but she wanted to be saved and Come she on. can handle an AK-47 oh that girl And at number one. Hello, and again, welcome to the Aperture Science Computer Aided Enrichment Center. It's GLaDOS. Remember, the Aperture Science Bring Your Daughter to Work Day is the perfect time to have her tested. Do you ever wonder who would win in a face-off between GLaDOS and HAL 9000? Tara Nelson. I mean, if they had faces. Never before has any other video game character been portrayed with such a sweet voice, passive-aggressive humor, and killer instinct, than of the genetic life form and disk operating system that we've all come to know as GLaDOS. Plainly, GLaDOS is not bad she is just misunderstood. Remember the good times when you had full trust in GLaDOS, until she tried to kill you with robots made you kill your only friend in the world, your companion cube, and tried to roast you in a flame pit all the while congratulating you on what a good job you done. What a fun time that was. Which is why Aperture Science would like to remind you that when making the choice of the best video game character ever, it is important to make the right decision. Failure to make the right decision will cause deadly neurotoxins to be flooded into the enrichment center. And it would be all your fault. Think of all of those poor test subjects gasping for breath, all because someone thought that lightning from Final Fantasy 13 was such hot stuff. As part of a required test protocol, we will not monitor the next test chamber. You will be entirely on your own. Good luck. As part of a required test protocol, our previous statement suggesting that we would not monitor this chamber was an outright fabrication. Good job. As part of a required test protocol, we will stop enhancing the truth in three, two, 
Now, a lot of people have been saying, how could GLaDOS be even on this list, let alone way at the top? Let al- they're going to be infuriated she got to number one. They're saying she's not a character, you never meet her, and when you do, it's just a lame boss battle. She is Portal. Take her away. And just try playing Portal uh, Still Alive, the uh, the, lev- the like bonus levels without her. There's no narrative to it. You just go through the, the, pa- the puzzle rooms. She is the plot of that game, embodied in a single character. Unbelievable. You. Subject name, here. Must be the pride of. Subject hometown, here. If computers could be evil, that would be her. But she's not. She's just lonely and whatever the computer version of insane is. It's it's another and vindictive one. and passive aggressive. <laughs> it's another one of these Gordon Freeman moments, isn't it? It's well, yeah. Well, Although, no, but no, no, because Gordon for, Freeman doesn't talk. All Glados does is talk. Please know that we have added a consequence for failure. Any contact with the chamber floor will result in an unsatisfactory mark on your official testing record, followed by death. Good luck. Well, true, but you don't meet her until the very end of that Doesn't game. matter. Doesn't matter. You don't meet Atlas, really, properly, in, uh, in Bioshock. No, no spoilers, but Atlas is a great character. I'm amazed that uh, he wasn't on here. I just, I'd love the fact that, you know, after, you know, us talking about Nathan Drake as, you know, he's a human being, you know, the performance capture, and the best character in video games is a fucking robot. It's a disembodied, (laughs) weird, computer-generated voice that could, I I don't know, did they actually do that just by, it's like a, a voice program, it's not even a person. Well, it is. I mean, it, it has all the characteristics. I mean, yeah, if you, it, it's a person with inside that machine. You know, it's machi- It's not just a machine speaking out dialogue. It's obviously an AI gone slightly wrong within there. Wit now and cake will be served immediately. Fantastic. You remained resolute and resourceful in an atmosphere of extreme pessimism. But she represents this, this cold sense of corporate greed, and yeah. everything she says, you feel is laced with double meaning and uh, and just laden down with this hidden threat but not even very well hidden either but just everything she says almost every line that comes out of her mouth is funny in, in the blackest way possible yeah she's <laughs> I don't think I, I think maybe why she's come out at number one in, in this poll is because she's picked a like you know almost a vote from everybody that's voted within this poll it's like, you know, you've got to have GLaDOS in there. Oh, no, just, no, no, seriously, I did all the counting. By no means did everybody vote for GLaDOS. No, but, you know, a lot of people did. Yeah, it's cause yeah the majority did. She's an iconic character. Um, by that by that rationale, Mario maybe should have been number one, because, you know, why not? A function of mass and velocity is conserved between portals. In layman's terms, speedy thing goes in, speedy thing comes out. I think I'm okay. Do you know what? I've kind of changed my tune on it. I, before I was like, she's not really a character. I I think she is. I think she, you know, like you say, you take her out of that game. That game is just the gameplay mechanics. Yep. And that's, you know, they're fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, the 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 whole portal experience was, you know, Gladys was a good fifty percent of that chunk, and then obviously the song at the end, which you know made that game even more famous, was sung by herself. So. Of course, the Jonathan Coulton song. Yes. I don't know. There's there's plenty of really great characters that you never meet in games. For 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 the longest time, you never met Colonel Campbell in Metal Gear, but you felt that you knew him nonetheless. Me- meeting people is overrated. 
but interplay is very important and that's where I think I fall down on appreciation of Gordon Freeman because there is no interplay there it's all just somebody else's reaction to you yeah and um, you know upon doing this I mean Alex and me have had many conversations say, no, hang on having said that I've just shot myself in the foot there is no interplay with GLaDOS either Chell says nothing Chell got votes but amazingly Chell there is no interaction between you and GLaDOS it's entirely passive well it is at the end Oh, actually, yeah, you do you do interact in, in, in a particularly murderous way. <laughs> you but, take parts of her and dump her into a fire. But no, see, you don't talk to her. Talking is so important. And so many of these characters, specifically the ones at the beginning of the list, uh, are from an era before speech. Oh, we, you know, we've progressed hugely, I, I think, in storytelling terms. I, I, you know, we've had this time and time again. I don't think we're up there with films. But the Enrichment Center promises to always provide a safe testing environment. In dangerous testing environments, the Enrichment Center promises to always provide useful advice. For instance, the floor here will kill you. Try to avoid it. I'm surprised that certain other characters where there was a lot more talking, uh, you know, John Marston obviously is number four. Um, I'm, yeah, I think that's maybe about right for him, but I'm surprised that, you know, Gladys came out at, at number one, but... I'm not. I think it comes down to impact. And clearly, everybody who voted for GLaDOS just remembered the time they had in that game. And you, you, you're you putting your life in her hands each time. And you know that she's going to keep dropping you into the fire. And, and yet you keep doing it over and over again. And every time you try to fight it, you realize that you're doing it wrong. And you're supposed to be being led along into this horrible death trap. As part of a previously mentioned required test protocol, we can no longer lie to you. When the testing is over, you will be missed. I, I must admit, I found this really, really hard putting a list together um, about my, you know, my top ten characters of all time. And it, it really told me how I play games you know I'd, I'd love to say that you know I was engrossed in singular characters and I'm, I'm behind them all the time and they're the reasons I'm pushing for the game and it really actually showed to me that a lot of the time even some quite famous characters are nothing but ciphers for me to you know, enjoy the gameplay itself I, I, I honestly feel like that's changed um, you know, Nathan Drake um, people like John Marston you know Alex Vance stuff like that I, I think a, a more what I'm after from a storyline within a game and more about the characters and I, and I can get involved in those but if we you know we move like you say we just talk about um, people like Dante uh, to me he was just the person that I used to play um, Devil May Cry and there was nothing more that I had I had nothing to say about him it was just a, a, a cipher which is really odd and I can't be the only one about that I mean, like I said, I think that's changed. I, I think, you know, we are getting closer to what I want to see within characters and games, but a lot of this list, I have nothing to say about these people, but I love the games themselves. Yeah. You did it. The weighted companion cube certainly brought you good luck. However, it cannot accompany you for the rest of the test and, unfortunately, must be euthanized. Please escort your companion cube to the Aperture Science Emergency Intelligence Incinerator. Rest assured that an independent panel of ethicists has absolved the Enrichment Center, Aperture Science employees, and all test subjects of any moral responsibility for the Companion Cube euthanizing process. While it has been a faithful companion, your Companion Cube cannot accompany you through the rest of the test. If it could talk, and the Enrichment Center takes this opportunity to remind you that it cannot, 
it would tell you to go on without it because it would rather die in a fire than become a burden to you. Testing cannot continue until your companion cube has been incinerated. Although the euthanizing process is remarkably painful, 8 out of 10 Aperture Science Engineers believe that the companion cube is most likely incapable of feeling much pain. The companion cube cannot continue through the testing. State and local statutory regulations prohibit it from simply remaining here, alone and companionless. You must euthanize it. Destroy your companion cube or the testing cannot continue. Place your companion cube in the incinerator. Incinerate your companion cube. You euthanized your faithful companion cube more quickly than any test subject on record. Congratulations. This was a triumph. I'm making a note here. Huge success. It's hard to overstate my satisfaction. Aperture science. We do what we must. And that is it for the 50 greatest video game characters as voted for by the DC community. Many, many thanks to everyone who contributed. We couldn't possibly have done it as excellently without you. On this show, you heard... Finlay Mann Joe Foley Rob Finney Roy42 Joshua Garrity Sinan Kuba from Big Red Potion Jeremy Tion David Turner from Joypod James Perkins And Darren Gargett from the IDKFA podcast Mike Barton from the Game Overcast Carolyn Sonic from TechSnark Dan Ilson from the internet Tara Nelson from the most popular girls on the internet and additionally last week we featured material by Lucas Carson Scott Yunson Neil Taylor from Game Burst Duncan O'Sullivan Tina Sustarek James Batchelor from Game Burst Liz Atkins from the Atkins household and Gary Blower from the Ninja Fat Pigeons and this month was our annual fundraising drive and we'd like to extend a special thank you to the following people who donated Bernard Sacco Joshua Garrity Matthew Byatt Andrew Montague Paul Joyce Stephen Jones Nathan Smith Stephen Jackson Alec Foster Gary Blower Benjamin Wyatt Robert Mallett Scott Eunson Anthony McGill Sam Draper Mark Smith Derek Harwell Jeff Lidgilling Jeremy Tion James Library Lucas Carson Joe Foley Jerome McIntosh Ian Flanagan Duncan O'Sullivan James Carter And remember folks, you can donate all year round but we won't ask again until next November And be sure to check out the forums and see what we're doing for our Christmas and New Year episodes because you can be a part of them too We will see you next week I've been Alex Shaw I've been Tony Atkins Happy Trails Did you know, you can donate one or all of your vital organs to the Aperture Science Self-Esteem Fund for Girls? It's true.